Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is July 22nd, 2022. Boy, there's lots of twos in today's date. I thank you for joining me. Hope all is well in your world, no matter where you are. Uh, Certainly a hot, sweltering summer um, and hot, sweltering in politics as well. And so here we are at the end of the week trying to play that inevitable game of catch-up. And, boy, there's so much to try to catch up on. But I, I want to start out <clears throat> by, by making a suggestion to everybody. I just did a public speaking event in New Jersey earlier this week. Always love getting together with these folks. I've been uh, appearing before this particular uh, Tea Party group. Uh, gosh, it's got to be at least um, 15 years now. We as Americans need to become far more united. Our Enemies, our opponents, the opponents of America, the opponents of our freedom, are seeking to play a game of divide and conquer, and they've been very successful. We've never been more polarized. Uh, Families not talking to family members over party affiliation, which programs they watch. This is not what America was. Uh, I'm certainly old enough to remember a time when politics was considered a minor issue. And it should be a minor issue. It's very important because of the implications, but it shouldn't be an issue that divides us, divides families, divides friends. This is crazy. We are entitled to disagree. We've become so fixated on my way or the highway, or you're either on my side or you're not, that we forgot what the First Amendment is truly about. Pardon me. I don't care how contentious the issues. I don't care if it's abortion. I don't care what it's about. People are entitled to disagree or agree with one another as they see fit, and, and that shouldn't get you canceled. It's bad enough that the lunatics in the media and Hollywood and elsewhere are running around canceling and tearing down statues and and all this other nonsense. We need to be more civil, and we need to understand that at the foundation, what we should all be striving for are solutions that make America stronger, that make our families safer, and provide opportunities for our children. There we go. I hope I'm back online. Goodness gracious. You would think that we could get a phone uh, line to work without interruption. Uh, I'm sorry about the um, disconnect, but now hopefully we're connected again. The point that I was making is that when I addressed this group in New Jersey last week, and, and we talked about the need to be able to communicate effectively with our friends, neighbors, relatives, everybody, especially those people who may disagree with us, 
we need debate and discourse, and it needs to be civil, and it needs to be rational, and it needs to be fact-based. And we need to accept the fact that other people will have different opinions, and they're entitled to them. We shouldn't be canceling each other. Let's leave that for the lunatics. We need to have conversations with each other. And it starts by being respectful of each other. Pardon me. And one of the terms that I've heard, it's really disturbing, and I hear it all the time, is bleeding heart liberal. And I just want those of you who've heard that phrase, maybe used it, to think about what the implication is. What are you saying? That it's a negative to be compassionate? The people that we want around us, the people that we want for friends are generally people who are warm and compassionate and empathetic. So when you turn empathy and compassion into a negative, oh, what's wrong with that guy? He's a bleeding heart liberal. What are we telling everybody? That we don't like people that are compassionate, that you're a fool if you you have concerns about fellow human beings? It turns everybody off, and I hope that we're better than that. The immigration issue uh, is a hot-button issue because there's so many lies and mistruths that have been spewed on both sides, and mostly by the globalists. The globalists are making a ton of money off of open borders. One of the things, I made this point on a radio show earlier today, that with all of the drug overdoses that we're witnessing, I would love to know that as the Democrats decriminalize illegal drugs, post signs in New York subways telling people how to safely, to safely use crack, heroin, and other dangerous illegal drugs, where are the Republicans? Would this not be an ideal opportunity for the leadership of the Republican Party to step up to the plate and air commercials, public service announcements on TV and radio warning about the dangers of drug use? It was very effective to get people to use seatbelts, public service announcements. Public service announcements have been super effective in getting people to stop smoking cigarettes. Think about how many people used to smoke and how few people smoke today. A big part of that are the public service announcements. We convince people that smoking is dangerous. I I can barely watch those commercials. In fact, I can't. I lost my dad, may he rest in peace, to lung cancer. And how many people have you seen in those commercials suffering from late-stage lung cancer who have no vocal cords and so forth. I'm not going to go into the horrors of those commercials, but they're impossible to watch. And they send a clear message. Drugs kill at least 100,000 people from overdoses. That, that was the number last year, over 100,000. <clears> that doesn't include people who were killed by people addicted to drugs who committed violent crimes in order to get their hands on the money they needed to buy the drugs. It doesn't include the gangs that fund their criminal activities through drugs. It doesn't include the cartels, and and, and they're violent, and they're here in the United States. I know I spent half my 30-year career with the old INS investigating the cartels here in the United States. And then you have people who drive and do other things under the influence and kill people. And when you see shootings, whether it's an individual shooting or a mass shooting, I'd love to know what the toxicology report looks like on the shooter. Nobody talks about that. When there's a car accident, a bus goes off the road, an airplane crashes, the first thing the journalists ask about was the person behind the controls drunk or high. Reasonable question. 
That's why driving or flying under the influence of alcohol or drugs is illegal and, in fact, is a felony. Good reason. We're told mental illness is an issue in shootings. Undoubtedly, it is. But how about the idea that perhaps the mental illness could be the result of drug use that over time uh, does permanent serious damage to a person's brain? No one seems to want to talk about that. Wouldn't it be an amazing opportunity for some politicians to go out there and say, look, I don't know what these other nimrods are doing, but I can tell you that it saddens me and worries me about the carnage, about the loss of life, about the devastation that this does to our communities, to families, to our children. We will do everything we can to educate about the dangers of drugs. I can't remember the last time I saw a good commercial on television about drugs, other than the pharmaceutical commercials, which are insane, or the lawyers who promised to sue on behalf of those people who were injured by prescription drugs. Why is nobody on the other side doing public service announcements and then saying this public service announcement was brought to you by whatever group because American lives are important and we want to save every life that we can. We want to preserve the future of our children. Why is no one trying that? Is it that they're stupid? Is it that they're foolish? Or is it that the politicians have been bought off by those who profit from the drug trade? I, I just want you to think about the impact on drug money on the economy. We're talking about billions, if not trillions of dollars, that are washing through the banking industry, real estate, Wall Street, and, and other such places. There's tons of money to be made, and it's blood money. And what we should be doing is having those very same discussions on a small scale with those people that we interact with, have dinner with, family members, and so forth. We go to a picnic. Let's not shy away from the topic, but let's not also preach. Let's just have a conversation because the facts are on our side. Right now, the drought has become so severe out west that people are being told to no longer have lawns, don't fill their swimming pools, we've got to change the way we live because there's a drought and it's not going to get better in the foreseeable future. Okay, fine. I did a bit of research and found that the average human being requires 100 gallons of water per day, 100 gallons per person. That's for sanitary purposes, meaning showering, washing your hands, brushing your teeth, flushing the toilet, cooking, drinking, the average person consumes 100 gallons of water a day. Maybe it's a little bit more, maybe it's a little bit less. That's the round number several websites are showing. I didn't go crazy doing the research, but it's a round number and it seems reasonable. The Biden administration apparently has let in over three million illegal aliens, three million times 100 gallons per day. What's the impact on the drought, especially when many of these aliens uh, stay in the West where there's a, a dire shortage of water? We have electricity shortages. Everyone here has an environmental impact. <clears throat> Everyone here needs food and water and clothing and shelter and electricity and trans. This is truly crazy. Um, I don't know uh, why we're having these issues. Uh, God only knows I'm certainly upsetting some people, I would imagine. 
Uh, I apologize for the, you know, loss of signal. We're back again, hopefully. But what I want everyone to focus on is how it makes no sense to continue down this path. And it's not anti-immigrant to enforce immigration laws that at their foundation were enacted to protect national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of American workers, period. This isn't about race. And if you look at the lunacy that's been going on, um, one of the issues that, that I wanted to talk about tonight <clears throat> is that the Biden administration um, says that they're going to uh, focus on enhancing technology on the border but not building a border wall. Why is that? Border walls are effective, and they're not designed to prevent people from entering the United States. They're only designed to make certain that people go through a port of entry in order to enter the United States. This is no different from entering a baseball park or a football stadium and being expected to go through a gate. Ports of entry are no different from the gates at that, at that venue. You buy a ticket, maybe you go through a metal detector, they give you a ticket, you take your seat, you enjoy the game. You don't charge across the field and interfere with, with the people that are playing the game. This is about creating an orderly system. Now, the usual nonsense, we need technology. Technology is good in addition to offense. Technology is like a burglar alarm. But does it make sense to have a burglar alarm on a house that has no doors? People can just wander in. That's crazy. But technology gives politicians an opportunity to give lots of money to campaign contributors in the name of building an electronic barrier. Electronic barriers don't stop people. They just alert the Border Patrol when people have entered the United States. They need to know, but they're so overwhelmed, they can't do much about it now anyway. And when they find these people, for the most part, they're being led into the United States anyway. So this is, again, part of the kabuki theater by the Biden administration and Alejandro Mayorkas to create an illusion of, oh, look, we're, we're making the border more secure. No, you're not. Because at the end of the day, if aliens coming here illegally, who have no right to be here, are permitted to enter the United States and file applications for political asylum, when well, we know that they don't qualify. And all too frequently, I listen to even conservative programs, and people are saying ridiculous things, such as, well, these people are coming here, and they live in poverty, so of course we have to let them in. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that people live in poverty. People live in poverty here in the United States. People are living in cities that are crime-ridden, probably worse than many other cities around Latin America. The number of shootings and robberies and break-ins in places like New York and California and Chicago. Uh, my gosh, why is it happening? Well, because of the so-called criminal justice reform. We just saw Lee Zeldin, the candidate for governor, uh, attacked as he addressed an audience in upstate New York. And the guy who attacked him was charged with attempted assault. What do you mean attempted assault? He got his hands on Zeldin. He had a sharp instrument in his hand. He could have seriously injured or even killed him. Attempted assault. No, he assaulted Zeldin. So they charged him with attempted assault, and he was promptly released. I guess that uh, under the mentality of the radical left, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. This guy should not be out. And there was a report that he was in the military, and he was suffering from emotional problems. Why isn't he being cared for? He poses a threat to other people. He demonstrated that. He may pose a threat to himself. It's compassionate to let this guy loose where maybe he's going to hurt somebody else or even hurt himself. 
Where's the compassion? There is none. But this is the nonsense that we're hearing from the other side, and these aren't issues that are difficult to refute. We just have to be rational and clear-headed about the way we approach the issue. One of the other things that has happened, and this is mind-boggling, apparently, and this has been going on for a while, um, the the TSA has been permitting aliens on airplanes whose only ID is an immigration arrest warrant. I, I just want you to think about the enormity of that stupidity. An immigration arrest warrant could get you onto an airplane. And, and what the TSA was saying during a hearing, the head of TSA, well, there's an alien number, these people are known to the agency, and so we know who they are. Let me tell you, I was an INS agent for 26 years. I was an inspector for four years before that. I spent the years an adjudicator. We don't know who they are. Frequently, you arrest somebody who's quote-unquote undocumented. What does undocumented mean? It means that they have no valid, reliable identification documents in their possession. They may have nothing in their possession. They may have counterfeit documents in their possession. Big issue, by the way, because the 9-11 Commission discovered that the 19 hijackers who carried out the attacks of 9-11 in the aggregate had more than 300 sets of ID, false ID, and so forth. So if you arrest an illegal alien, you say to the guy, what's your name? He tells you, my name is Jorge Lopez. You have any ID? No. What name do you put on the paperwork? Jorge Lopez. What other name are you going to put? Because he gave you that name. And it's not only for Latinos. We're, we're talking about anybody from everywhere, whether it's China, whether it's Jamaica, whether it's England, whether it's Israel. If you have no ID... And fingerprinting people does not always give you the results as to who they really are, because many other countries don't have the same kind of a fingerprint system or have no fingerprint system at all. So the idea, oh, we have an alien number that's assigned to that name. We do. We gave the guy that alien number based on a name that he or she provided without any way of verifying who they are. So the person who provides a name and gets a warrant in that name may or may not be who that person is. We've had people lie about their countries of citizenship on top of everything else. But we're giving them access to airplanes. Think of what we go through as American citizens in our own country to get on board an airplane. They do everything short of doing blood type and DNA. And here we're ta- they've taken what they're saying is under a 1,000. 19 hijackers carried out 9-11, taking people who violated our borders and violated our laws, and that's why they were issued a warrant that seeks their removal from our country, and we then say, oh, well, that warrant issued to this law violator who probably lied about his or her identity is adequate proof of identity to permit them access to an airliner? If that doesn't make your head want to explode, Make sure you can still fog a mirror. Make sure you're still breathing, that you're still conscious. How in the world does it make sense to permit an alien who should not be here, whose identity is unknown and unknowable, how do we allow that person to get on board an airliner when Americans go through hell? And anybody who ever gets on a no-fly list will go through hell to try to get their name off a no-fly list. These are aliens whose identities are unknown. They came here and violated our borders, violated our laws, something that terrorists, criminals, and fugitives do. And yet TSA is allowing these individuals 
onboard airliners in the United States. What could possibly go wrong? And then it turns out that a district court went after the Biden administration for their lame excuses as to why they're not enforcing immigration laws. And the appeals court came back and said, no, this is not a good faith effort. You can't say that you don't have the resources and that's why you're not deporting anybody. You know, a long time ago when I did one of my very first TV interviews that was on Lou Dobbs Tonight, and I remember Lou, and I think I may have spoken about this in one of my recent programs, Lou was kind of incredulous about the situation. And he said, Mike, how do you explain all these people coming here? And he went on and on and on. You know, the how in the world question that he was so famous for. And I thought about it, and I coined an expression that became probably one of the most plagiarized things I've ever said. I said, Lou, nobody would break into the amusement park if they couldn't get to go on the rides. Here we have the American people for these folks to get on those rides. Why in the world are you surprised that they're coming here? And the discussion we were having at the time was health care for illegal aliens and the devastating impact it was having on hospitals across the southwest of the United States, where hospitals were so overwhelmed they were going bankrupt and shutting their doors. And as a consequence, people who were in dire medical condition lost their lives. They had a heart attack. They had a stroke. And the hospital that used to be nearby is now closed. And so now we're talking about transporting somebody to another hospital that might take hours to get to. And by the time, by the time they get there, uh, they've got a person who's either dead or dying. Why? Why? All we hear about are what the immigrants want. And we hear about the American dream. What about the American dream for Americans? And by the way, I'm not suggesting that we slam our doors shut. Far from it. America is the most welcoming country in history. We normally give over a million green cards to aliens every year, and a green card signifies that they are lawfully admitted permanent resident aliens who are on a path to citizenship. That's more than the rest of the world combined, and that doesn't include the tens of millions of people that we permit to come in on temporary visas as tourists and students and foreign workers and journalists and so forth. But to suddenly say, well, unless you're willing to let anybody and everybody into the United States, you're anti-immigrant, is nonsense. Sheer, utter nonsense. And yet, that's exactly where we are today. The Biden administration has made a mockery of our immigration laws. The radical left has made a mockery of our criminal justice system. And I wrote an article not long ago where I came up with the proposition that actually immigration was the guinea pig for this experiment in insanity and anarchy because it was immigration that started catch and release. And now in a very real sense, that's what we're witnessing with criminals who get arrested for committing crimes and they're allowed to go without bail. Is that not catch and release? If you get only one opportunity for a first impression, the first set of laws that people from other countries generally encounter when they enter the United States well, when they seek to enter the United States are our immigration laws. And the Biden administration has sent a clear message to people across the world that in the United States, number one, we no longer have a border. And I find it remarkable that Mayorkas could sit there with a straight face and say the border is secure. I want him to describe what secure means. People are able to flow across the border without documentation. We have no idea who they are in unprecedented numbers and just enter the United States and be dispersed across the country. We don't know if they have dangerous diseases. We don't know if they have criminal histories. We don't know 
if they're affiliated with gangs or terrorist groups. And then one of the interesting things that we see happening is that you have announcements made. I know Fox News does this. 53 people on the terror watch list were apprehended. Well, that's significant. But do you think most terrorists are on any terror watch list? No. The great majority of terrorists operate as sleepers. And what that means is then unknown to us. And then we've got hundreds of thousands of getaways. And we're only talking about the southern border. So one of the questions I'd love to ask you is how many miles of border does the United States have? Because everyone keeps focusing on the Mexican border, which is over 2,000 miles. The Canadian border is more than double that. And we have 95,000 miles of coastline. So the shorter answer is that the United States has approximately 100,000 miles of border. How do you secure a 100,000-mile border? And the answer is you can't. The answer is what really counts is interior enforcement. That's the dirty little secret that has gone ignored and neglected forever. We have a couple thousand immigration agents for the entire country. Why? Well, obviously, it's because the people who are truly in control do not want anything done to interfere with what I have come to refer to as the immigration delivery system. It's a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, and it's not just the illegal aliens. It's the high-tech workers. It's the high-tech workers. It's the computer programmers and the doctors and the nurses. We're devaluing labor. We are devaluing skill. We are devaluing education in America. How? By flooding America with high-tech workers from around the world. That's how you devalue the value of labor. Labor is a commodity. When you flood any marketplace with any commodity, you devalue the commodity. In economics, it's considered dumping, and dumping under federal law is a crime. Um, I've spoken about this before, and I spoke about this earlier today when I was on Bobby Gunther Walsh's show over in WAEB. I love being on with Gunther. I'm on with him uh, basically every other Friday for an hour. But let me, let me raise an old issue. Alan Greenspan testified with Chuck Schumer back on April 30, 2009, about comprehensive immigration reform. And it wasn't just about providing amnesty. It was also about greatly increasing H-1B visas because Greenspan said, this is what Bill Gates wants, and we must give Bill Gates what he wants. Why? Why? Why must we give Bill Gates what he wants? Do you think Bill Gates wants what's in the best interest of America or Americans? No. Bill Gates wants what's in the best interest of Bill Gates, period, full stop. So Alan Greenspan, in his testimony, said a couple of things. I'm going to read this to you. The first paragraph is upsetting. The second one, as I like to tell people, if you have an issue with blood pressure, take the pill now, avoid the rush later. So he said that allowing basically an unlimited number of high-tech H-1B visa aliens into the United States, as requested by Bill Gates, carries with it two important, what he called, benefits. Really? Benefits? Well, let's start out. These are now Alan Greenspan's words back in 2009. First, he said this, first, skilled workers and their families form new households. They will, of necessity, move into vacant housing units, the current blood of which is the prices of American homes, and, of course, house price declines 
are a major factor in mortgage foreclosures and the plunge in value of the vast quantity of U.S. mortgage-backed securities that has contributed substantially to the disabling of our banking system. Boy, talk about a run-on sentence. And he's, he, he made that statement with that syrupy, dead voice. In fact, I was so angry the morning after I watched that hearing streaming live. I was on a radio show, and the young lady whose program I was on asked me what I thought of Alan Greenspan. I said, well, when I watched him testify, I knew I was witnessing the first. And she said, Mike, I know you well enough to know that I'm stepping onto thin ice when I ask you what kind of a first was it, but you're compelling me to ask that question. What kind of a first was it? I said, well, I've seen someone testify who was suffering from rigor mortis. He had that dead, monotone voice with that equally dead, monotone stare into the camera. The reality is the banking system was disabled by his subprime mortgages. Also disabled, and no one talks about it, by all of the credit cards that were given out to people without even knowing who the hell they were. Congratulations, you've been pre-approved. Kind of like the way we're now giving citizenship and, and lawful status to millions of illegal aliens under this corrupt administration. So that's nonsense. But the other thing that he said, and this is the one that really revs my motor, and I suspect it's going to rev your motor. The second bonus that is to admitting all these H-1B high-tech workers, the second bonus would address the increasing concentration of income in this country. What does that mean? Well, apparently, Greenspan was concerned that too many people are making too much money. Although a little bit earlier in the speech, he said how letting in more workers will enable us to become more wealthy. Us who? He wasn't talking about us, folks. He was talking about himself and his cronies. Because what he's calling for here, as you're going to see in a moment, is to destroy the middle class wages by making Americans compete with foreign workers. Now, before I read this, I want you to know that under the current immigration laws, under Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, America must not hire aliens to do work when we have Americans ready, willing, and able to do the job. Makes sense. When you hear politicians saying we need to modernize the immigration laws, you know what they're really saying? We need to stop shielding American workers from foreign competition. Now, why do they want to do that? Because they could pay a foreign worker a half or a third or whatever, of the wage that an American similarly employed would expect to receive. This is how you destroy the wage structure for the middle class. Think I'm kidding? Let me read the paragraph, and you tell me what you hear. This is, again, Greenspan's words. The second bonus would address the increasing concentration of income in this country. Greatly expanding our quotas for the highly skilled would lower wage premiums of skilled over the lesser skilled. Wage premiums, he really means salaries, right? Skill shortages in America exist because we are shielding our skilled labor force from world competition. Is that not exactly what I just said? They want to end the shielding of American workers from foreign competition. That's the whole point to the exercise. You do it today, you're violating the law. It doesn't much matter because they don't enforce the laws anyway. But they want to change the law so they can go full steam ahead and destroy the middle class and turn every working American into a member of that elite group of the working poor. Let me read this again. Greatly expanding our quotas for the highly skilled 
with lower wage premiums of the skilled over the lesser skilled. Skill shortages in America exist because we are shielding our skilled labor force from world competition. Quotas have been substituted for the wage pricing mechanism, and in the process, we have created a privileged elite whose incomes are being supported at non-competitively high levels by immigration quotas on skilled professionals. Eliminating such restrictions would reduce at least some of our income inequality. When in the world or where in the world have you ever heard any official describe middle-class American workers as the privileged elite? These are middle-class workers, folks. These aren't millionaires and billionaires. This guy had the chutzpah to refer to hard-working Americans who have advanced education and spent a fortune to acquire that education. They are the privileged elite. Not him, not Gates, not Zuckerberg. Uh-uh. The hard-working, middle-class, privileged elite. And if only we could get rid of the quotas and the restrictions, we could reduce some of our income inequality. Sure, because the wages would plummet, and then the working poor would be on parity with middle-class, high-tech workers who have advanced degrees. If this isn't a call to communism and a destruction of the middle class, I don't know what is, and no one wants to talk about it. And when I confronted Bob Goodlight, who at the time was the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, he did not want to discuss it with me. I made attempt after attempt, and I said, you know, my first wife, may she rest in peace, is a brilliant programmer, Phi Beta Kappa graduate, MBA in computer science. She had a team of engineers and programmers working with her, with the exception of one employee who was a pain in the neck to everybody, from what I was told. These were all Americans. They all had advanced degrees. They've been in the industry for decades. And I said, why would you displace them? And he finally said to me, my son knows a lot about computers, and he would love to see thousands and thousands of brilliant Indian programmers brought to America. I said, really? And why not Americans? And he just gave me this blank look. And I said, what are the Americans, chopped liver? Don't you think, as chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, your concern should be American workers, not people from India? And who is your brother, your son, to tell you what he wants? How about what the constituents want? How about what the American people want? What are the Americans, chopped liver? And at that point, he stood up and said, this meeting is over. Well, he's arrogant and stupid, often qualities we see in politicians. Most of them couldn't hold a real job, although... I did some research on Goodlatte, and his background is he made a fortune as an immigration lawyer who specialized in, guess what, H-1B visas. But I, didn't, I knew nothing about his son until he opened his big mouth. So I looked up Bobby Goodlatte. You can check this out. Everything I tell you is verifiable. Bob Goodlatte's son, the former chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, his son, Bobby Goodlatte, G-O-O-D-L-A-T-T-E, Good lats, okay, got his start with Zuckerberg at Facebook and has made a fortune by importing foreign workers into the United States to do the jobs that Americans can, have been, and should continue to be doing. How is this in our best interests? Maybe that's the reason that the Republicans jump up and down about the, de- about the Democrats, but nothing changes because they're part of the Republican Party. Everyone wants that open border, with one exception. The guy that got them crazy, the guy that they're gunning for right now, his name was Donald Trump, because he was the first one to say, wait a minute, 
we need to do things differently. Now, I didn't always agree with Trump, but I thought he did a terrible job of messaging. I really do. The debate with Joe Biden was a disaster, and it shouldn't have been. The question that Trump should have asked Biden during the debate isn't, Joe, can you say law enforcement? I mean, my God, you want to talk about a sophomoric foolish question. The question really should have been, did you read the 9-11 Commission report? That's the question I would have asked Joe Biden. How in the world do you explain to the American people why you want a program that would give unknown millions of illegal aliens who snuck into the country? They ended surreptitiously. And you want to give them legal status with no ability to interview them, let alone do a field investigation? We're talking about millions of people who came here for reasons unknown only to them, their identities, backgrounds, and potential affiliations with criminal or terrorist organizations are unknown and unknowable. This would be devastating. It would overwhelm everything. That's the question that Trump should have asked. Now, what's really remarkable is that cities around the country are now starting to feel the burden of all these illegal aliens being shipped off to places like New York and Chicago and Washington, D.C., and Mayor Eric Adams is jumping up and down and says, the Biden administration better give us money because our homeless shelters are overwhelmed. We don't know where to put all these people. <clears throat> and they were showing images of people on the sidewalk. They've been displaced by illegal aliens who have no right to be here. I don't understand how Adams, on the other hand, can blame the governors of Arizona and Texas. He needs to look at the White House because it's the policies of the Biden administration that have caused this to happen. And he's talking about the impact on schools. Well, I've been talking about that forever. Around 2006, the Congressional Budget Office did a study about the impact of illegal immigration. And one of the things that jumped off the pages at me was the fact that, according to the study, children who are not English proficient require 20 to 40 percent more money to be educated. And it's you're chasing your tail. Imagine you have a 15-year-old kid who comes to high school, can't speak a word of English, what do we do with that? What do we do with that situation? What do we do with him or her? So it's overwhelming the schools. It's overwhelming the homeless shelters. It's overwhelming welfare. We have to provide them with food and all this other nonsense. And as I've said, this is why Mayorkas has become America's innkeeper, not its guardian, because they're giving hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts to these supposed nonprofit NGOs, non-government organizations. So there's lots of money, although what we're really witnessing is incredible levels of suffering. Children being released into the custody of smugglers. And in fact, in Florida, they're doing something that I suggested a long time ago when I met with members of Congress. Anybody who allows his or her child to be brought to America by a smuggler should be charged with the reckless endangerment of the child. I remember how many times some family would leave a child in the car. I remember a couple from Europe was having dinner in New York, and they left their child in a stroller outside the window of the restaurant where they were eating. They were in the restaurant. They were seated by the window so they could watch their child while they ate. Crazy practice, but they made the point that back in their home country, and I I forget where in Europe they were from, Finland, Iceland, whatever, this was normal. You know, It was a nice, cool day. It was like 70 degrees out, nice air, clear air. And they said, well, we can watch our child, and she was asleep or he was asleep in the little stroller. And they were arrested for endangering the welfare of the child. And they could see the child. They were just on the other side of the glass. And we could talk about whether it's smart or not. I don't think it's a smart idea. But they were arrested. But yet you have people 
turning over their children to smugglers and being brought to the United States, and we're told that they're paying for the smugglers. We also have to consider the very real possibility that children are being kidnapped and being used as a way of entering the United States, especially babies, because you can't interview an 18-month-old baby and say, is this person that brought you across the border your father? We had a situation where a six-month-old was carried across the Rio Grande by a previously deported alien who had a criminal history. He eventually admitted that it wasn't his child. I guess they threatened to do DNA testing. But, of course, I assure you that under this administration, they won't do DNA testing because they don't want to disqualify anybody. They want everyone here, including criminals and potentially terrorists. That's where we are now. And I want someone in the administration to have the guts, the, the moral fortitude, to stand in front of the cameras and make the case for these practices that are endangering children and endangering America's public safety and national security. And by the way, to underscore the point about public health, it was reported within the last day or two that New York now has its first case of polio in almost a decade. And the news report said that it is believed that the person with polio had been given an oral vaccine of live virus, which we don't do, because the live virus has the potential of causing polio. So what does that mean? If that was the case, this person came to America from another country. We don't know if it was legally or illegally, if it was part of the caravan. But this is why borders matter. This is why the immigration laws matter. And why aren't the Republicans doing a better job of messaging? Why aren't they out there with with public service announcements trying to explain that this isn't about xenophobia. This is just about common sense. You can't protect the country when your enemies have easy access. I am very much concerned now that Iran claims to have materials for a nuclear weapon that they could activate sleeper agents in the United States. And we know that Iran is all over Latin America. Let me read something. I've read it before, but I think it's important, given all the totality of circumstances, for you to understand what we're really talking about. Welcome to my world of sleepless nights. Back on April 17th, I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine. I hope everybody will check out my articles at Front Page if you're not doing it already. I I try to provide you with the information you're not going to get anywhere else. And the title of my article was Congressional Hearing, Iranian Sleeper Cells Threaten the United States. And when I wrote that article, I focused on an April 17, uh, I, I, I focused on a hearing that was conducted April 17, 2018, by the House Counterterrorism and Intelligence Subcommittee. This is four years ago. The topic of the hearing, state sponsors of terrorism and examination of Iran's global terrorism network, Iran's global terrorism network. And so my article included a quote from a gentleman by the name of Dr. Emmanuel Otolenge. He's with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. And none of the other witnesses disagreed. I can tell you, having testified before many hearings, that sometimes you make a statement and the other witnesses will say, I disagree with Mr. Cutler, and you have a lively back and forth. And that's fine. We should be able to answer questions and be subject to scrutiny. The, The positions we take, the statements we make, should not go unchallenged. Question everybody, folks. Question me. Question me, okay? Questions are important. That's how we determine whether we can trust someone. That's how we learn. Science is the continuing quest 
the answers to questions. The biggest return we get from the space program is the next set of questions, okay? Question everything. But nobody challenged Dr. Emmanuel Odalinge at that hearing. This is what he said. Again, we have two paragraphs. The first paragraph, disturbing. The second paragraph is the stuff of Mike Cutler's nightmares. These are his words. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks, I'm going to interrupt myself just to make a point. Normally, when we think about Hezbollah, we think about the Middle East. We're talking about a major presence of Hezbollah in Latin America, which is funded and controlled by Iran. All right, so let me go back and start this, and I will not interrupt myself until I get through the two paragraphs. So here we go. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates, often with the assistance of local corrupt political elites. Cooperation includes the laundering of drug money, arranging multi-ton shipments of cocaine to the United States and Europe, and directly distributing and selling illicit substances to distant markets. Proceeds from these activities finance Hezbollah's arms procurement, its terror activities overseas, its hold on Lebanon's political system, and its efforts both in Lebanon and overseas to keep Shia's communities loyal to its cause and complicit in its endeavors. Now we come to paragraph two. This is the eye-opener. This toxic crime terror nexus, that is to say, and and again, I'm, I'm interrupting, but that is to say, between Hezbollah and these criminal and smuggling organizations. That's the nexus. That's the, the terror nexus, okay? This crime terror nexus is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America. That is helping to drive drugs and people northward into the United States. It is sustaining Hezbollah's growing financial needs. It is helping Iran and Hezbollah consolidate a local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America, thus facilitating their efforts to build safe havens for terrorists in a continent-wide terror infrastructure that they could use to strike U.S. targets. What is he saying? That Hezbollah, under the guidance of Iran, is in control of Latin America, human trafficking, drug smuggling, building a structure they could use to launch attacks within our borders. And we have a wide open border. And it talks about driving drugs and people northward. Is that not the caravan? And again, we still don't know what's coming across the Canadian border. We don't know what's happening along our 95,000 miles of coastline or who we're letting in at international airports. America is a sieve. And to purely focus on the Mexican border is stupidity. Stupidity. Is the Mexican border important? Absolutely. But let me ask you, how many holes do you need to have in the bottom of your boat so that your boat winds up at the bottom of the lake? The Mexican border is one big hole, and there are many others, and no one's even talking about them. And by flooding America with all these aliens who have court dates, what it really means is that they've crashed the legal immigration system. That if you arrest an illegal alien, it's immigration agents, God help you. And that's even if we have a different administration who wants to enforce the law. We have a backlog of millions of cases. Arrested illegal alien, it used to be within a day that alien got to see a judge. Now it's years. And by then, where's the alien? Who knows? 
Who knows? This is a gift to the terrorist organizations. This is a gift to the people who want to destroy America. And you have to ask yourself, are we that inept? Is this administration that incompetent between what they did in Afghanistan, giving over $80 billion in the latest military hardware to the Taliban, released 5,000 terrorists in Afghanistan, and now they're going to allow people to come in who had affiliation with the Taliban, and the Republicans are finally questioning it. I wrote about it in an article a month ago. Why would you allow people into the United States? Because they say to you, well, I was forced to join the Taliban. Oh, okay. Really? We don't have to get it wrong by much. Again, 19 hijackers carried out 9-11 and changed the world. 19. We have millions crossing legally and illegally. Millions crossing illegally. How big a number is 19 out of millions? It's infinitesimally small, but the impact isn't. This is what asymmetrical warfare is. Countries know they can't confront America's military head-to-head, so they send terrorists in, they subvert, and they destroy. And by the way, one of the points that I made recently is that what I found really disturbing was the use of a new adjective that began a couple of years ago. It used to be when there was a new company, we'd say it was a game changer, it was revolutionary, it was, you know, whatever. All of a sudden, there's a word that comes up. And what's that word? Disruptive. This is disrupting the system. This is disrupting the industry. When I went to school, if a child was disruptive, the parents got a phone call and they weren't happy. Over time, the term disruptive has worked its way into advertising where disruption is good. Really? I think it was about conditioning us to this concept of being disruptive. Because that's what's really happened. The criminal justice system has been disrupted. Border security has been disrupted. The supply chain has been disrupted. The ability to get formula to babies in the United States has been, you guessed it, disrupted. Is this a coincidence? You know, in law enforcement, we have an expression that if you see a coincidence, keep digging because you're probably onto something. I've read this so many times I just feel compelled to read this again. Briefly, this is a couple of passages from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. And as I read this, I want you to think about the policies of the Biden administration. This report was provided or authored by federal agents and attorneys who were assigned to the 9-11 Commission. And the preface begins with this paragraph. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons we discussed in the following pages that it must be made one. Isn't it remarkable? But they didn't talk about the Mexican border, but the visa process and how the visa process is part of border security, a point that I've been making forever. You know, I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission, and that was part of what I told them. By the way, how could federal agency heads not understand that border security is a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal? What kind of idiots have we been hiring? Who's been put in places of authority? 
And it goes on and says that abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activities. Think about that. And then page 61 says, exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there's evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connection to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the credentials necessary to aid tra- terrorist travel. And we're letting people on airplanes on the basis of a name they provided to immigration when we have no way of knowing who they really are. Brilliant. And then page 98 of that report says this. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, which is what DACA was, folks, or applying for asylum after entering. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Well, where are those millions of people now? They're scattered across the country, right? So it enabled them to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. What are we doing? What are we doing? We have millions of people here. We don't know who they are. They've been dispersed across America. And I can assure you that among them are criminals, fugitives, gangbangers, members of the cartel, and terrorists. These are self-inflicted wounds. And if God forbid there's a massive terrorist attack, I remember after 9-11, all those politicians from both parties standing at the podium in front of the cameras, pounding away, Why didn't they connect the dots? Well, we've connected the dots. That's what the report was about. That was what so many of the hearings Ryan and other experts testified. That's what those hearings were about. And it's as though the Biden administration looked at the 9-11 Commission report. It's as though the Biden administration looked at the testimony from the experts who went before Congress and said, whatever the 9-11 Commission said we have to do to protect America, we will not do And whatever made the situation dangerous, we will do. You almost get the sense that this administration is seeking an attack on America. I don't know any other way of understanding what I'm watching. $80 billion in weaponry, gone. 5,000 terrorists released. Wide open borders. Immigration fraud on a galactic scale. We just deported, as I mentioned last week, we just deported the father of a guy that wanted to blow up the subways. He was denaturalized under the Trump administration, and we deported him a couple of days ago. And you have Mayorkas saying that if aliens apply for citizenship and they lie, we will take no action because now that they're Americans, this government will protect them because they are our citizens. No, if you lie to get citizenship, You're supposed to be stripped of that. We did that to the Nazi war criminals. We've done that to a bunch of terrorists. Citizenship and green cards are the keys to the kingdom. And this administration says, even if you lie, even if you conceal material facts, 
We will give you whatever it is you want. We will give you the key to the front door. I want someone to explain this to me. I lived through 9-11. I made numerous trips to Washington. I've arrested and investigated terrorists. What we are observing is unconscionable, and we need to discuss all of this with our neighbors. The facts are irrefutable. Please share my articles and links to this podcast with as many of your friends as possible. I encourage you to have calm, fact-based conversations. Things have gotten so crazy, I think that your neighbors and friends will be more receptive to an honest conversation. If ever there was a time to have that conversation, this is the time. And I remind you, as I always like to say, that democracy is not a spectator sport. Please get involved and be part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay cool. And I look forward to seeing you again right here next week at the same time on the Michael Cutler Hour.